0: You are listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to Episode 68 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson. We all have to do continued professional education, CPE, to stay registered as tax practitioners but there are some common misconceptions about CPE. At least my understanding of CPE was quite fuzzy at the best and wrong at the worst of times. To better understand what counts and doesn't count as CPE, I'm meeting with Ian Taylor, the chair of the Tax Practitioners Board. Here's Ian. We
1: have a requirement Uh, which we've identified is an ongoing registration requirement but also it's a code item and so practitioners need to comply we generally measure CPE over a registration period which is three years so complying with the with the CPE requirement over that three-year period assists you the practitioner to maintain the knowledge and skills relevant to the services that you provide and that of course then comes into dealing with the other code items under competency competent service reasonable care tax laws, et cetera, et cetera. You've got to keep up to date. If you've got a tax qualification from 20 years ago, tax law changes daily. How do you keep yourself up to date This is a critical issue.
0: Yeah. Ian, can I ask you something quickly? Yeah. The uh, CPE is actually not governed under the uh, TASER 2009, but is governed in the test regulations. And the reason for that is that the test regulations are much easier to change than the TASER 2009. So you have much more leeway in adjusting the CPE
1: Requirements
0: yeah. based on what you see happening in the marketplace and where you think might be shortcomings, etc.
1: Yes. Yeah, so the, the requirement, but the act, the Act itself, through the Code of Conduct, does actually contain that requirement, Code Item Eight, that you must maintain knowledge and skills relevant to the tax agent services that you provide, and that's where then the board has the ability to say you need to you need to complete the CPE, which satisfies the board's requirements. So it's the regulations that allows us to then. Uh, identify what the board's requirements are. So that's how it works. And in terms of the registration or the requirements for CPE, for registered tax agents, they need to undertake uh, 90 hours of CPE within the standard three year period. So, you know, on average, 30 hours per year with a minimum of 10 hours in any one year. So, this is designed to assist those people who might go on a career break of some sort or have some other reason why they can't, they're injured in a motor vehicle accident they're, uh, they've are they had a, a health problem or whatever uh, and they've got a, a time where they're not able to comply with the 30 hours per year, so we say minimum of 10 hours per year so if you did 10 year, ten hours one year 10 hours the next, you'd need to do 70 hours in the other year to meet your 90 hours requirement over the 3 year period so that's the requirement uh, and um The other thing for BAS agents, it's 45 hours over that three-year period. For tax financial advisors, it's 60 hours over that three-year period.
0: Yes. I read on your website that you need to keep the records for six years. Correct. I yep. was surprised about that. I thought that was quite long. Is that equivalent to other professional organisations?
1: Well, it is, and I guess one of the other things is relatively consistent with the requirement to keep tax records. Um, tax records have to be kept for five years, I think it is currently. So, yeah, it's it's just so that we can cover periods which if a complaint comes in around a... about a practitioner in terms of actions, which sometimes take a while to get to us, so we mm. need to have two periods, if you like, of relevant information around the CPE. So you do need to keep them for that two trienniums, if you like, six-year period. But we also say that if you keep a record for your professional association or for any other reason, then we'll accept that log, we'll accept that record as well. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking also, most of the requirements of the professional associations are in excess of the requirements for the TBB. Um, So... You where know, people satisfy their professional association requirements, then they'll probably also satisfy the T P B requirements.
0: Mm. So the s- standard CPD for a registered tax agent is 90 hours over yep. a three-year registration. But then on your website, you also have these conditional hours that, for yeah. example, for a quantity surveyors it's six hours. Is that in addition, the six hours no. for the quantity surveyors, is that in addition to the 90 hours or that's instead of the 90 hours?
1: Uh, so it's uh, it's instead of the 90 hours and that's to acknowledge that uh, if you if you're dealing with a specialist category or field that the amount of CPE that's available is likely to be limited. So if you are a quantity surveyor for example, you're dealing essentially with uh, you know a very limited portion of the act in relating to uh, yeah, division you know, appreciation, division 40 and 43. Division mm-hmm. 40 and 43. And and therefore, uh, you know, you, you don't need to do as much in terms of uh, of CPE. Likewise, if you're dealing with fuel tax uh, credit specialty or luxury car tax specialty, or you're an R and D specialist or whatever, then the extent of uh, your CPE is reduced. So we've identified on the website there that if you're a tax agent, your standard tax agent is sixty hours. If you're Australian financial services so if you're a tax agent with a tag of Australian Financial Services, then it's 60 hours. That's also consistent with the TFA registration. So this registration of financial Australian Financial Services was something that we had prior to the TFA requirement, and the TFA, in a sense, has superseded that, and that's consistent with the TFA requirement of 60 hours. Quantity surveyors and fuel tax credits are six hours and everybody else is 45 hours.
0: Yes. Coming back to the um, example of the quantity surveyor, why does the TPB even cover quantity surveyors? Because quantity surveyors don't register with the... Tax Petitioner's board. They have their own board to no, register
1: with. No, well, they register with the board. They, if if a quantity surveyor provides tax advice, including advice relating to depreciate or either oh, you know, really? Division forty or Division forty three, they, they need to, to be, be registered. registered. Oh, yeah, so we've got a large number of quantity surveyor firms. Quantity surveyor firms that are registered with the board. They need to be registered because it's tax advice, oh. and it determines the liabilities of the client, etc. Um, and so they need to be registered, and they are. Um, and and yeah, so they're registered with the board with a ah. with a tag which says, or, or with a specialty if you like, or conditional limitation which says they can provide tax advice or tax agent services brackets, quantity surveyor services only. So it tags them to restrict the work that they can do. I see. Yeah.
0: Another s- thing you say on your website is that professional associations may be accredited to us, become recognised tax agent yes. associations, and the result of all this is then that the voting members have lesser hours of experience required of them yeah. or might not have to meet certain education requirements. So the ni- in, in standard, it's 90 hours of CPE, yeah. but then which association... What members of which associations would then have to do less than 90 hours a week? So we've
1: got two issues that we're talking about here. Firstly, the CPE requirement um, doesn't change because you're a member of a professional association. So our requirements, again, standard requirement, tax agent, 90 hours, BAS agent, 45 hours, TFA, 90 hour, uh, 60 hours. That's regardless of whether or not you're a member of a recognised association. However, what we've said is that if you are a member of a recognised association, then the work you do in CPE Ah, for them
0: will satisfy
1: and double count for Ah. CPE for TPB's purposes. Ah, But in addition to that, in the context of first being recognised by the board or registered by the board, if you are a voting member of a recognised professional association, then it may be that the requirements for experience are reduced. So, for example, in the in, in the context of a bass agent wanting to register with the board, the qualifications are the same. But if you're a voting member of a professional association, a bass agent association, you only need to have a thousand hours of experience over four years. Where you, where if you're not a member of an association, you need to have fourteen hundred hours. So there is a concession there for voting members.
0: What activities count towards CPE? Does listening to text podcast count as CPE?
1: So, look, interesting question in relation to what counts. And again, the board um, doesn't accredit CPE activities specifically. We leave that to the professional judgment of the person, uh, bearing in mind that the whole purpose of CPE is to ensure that you keep your qualifications up to date in the context of the services that you're providing. Again, bear in mind that everybody wants to provide a competent service, nobody wants to be sued for providing uh, inappropriate advice or, or whatever the case may be. So it's in, any, it's in everybody's interest to keep up to date, to ensure that you do the right thing, etc. So we, we say that lots of education activities relevant to the services you provide will qualify as CPE, and some of the activities can be seminars, workshops, webinars, courses, lectures, structured conferences, discussion groups, tertiary tertiary courses provided by universities, provided they're not your base degree in the first instance, online courses, audio, video packaging, in-house training, webcast, webinars we mentioned, they would all qualify as CPE provided they're relevant to the services that they provide. Um, attendance at TPB and ATO webinars and seminars would also apply. You can also take into account 25% of the total requirement can be satisfied by way of your own private research. Um, technical writing, uh, etc. can be covered in that context as well. So 25% of the total can be in that category.
0: Yeah, I think the 25% limit is in relation to technical or professional reading. The writing has no limit on it. So, if you write an article about a text issue, there is no limit on how many CPEs you can cover. Am I right on that one?
1: Well, I think we talk of it in the context of structured versus non structured, if you like, and s- re- relevant technical reading, research, and writing would be not. Non-structured, ah, I, see. Yep. I see.
0: So this 25% limit is not just reading, but is any unstructured activity. Yeah. So listening to podcasts would be part of the unstructured no, activity. No, no,
1: no. It's, it's research, writing, and presentations, and relevant technical reading would be tw- limited to 25%. But attendance at, at seminars, workshops, webinars, courses, lectures, etc., would be unlimited. So this would be regarded in the same category as a webinar or a seminar that you're attending. It's just the delivery method is different. It's the same concept. It's structured in the sense that you've sat down and you've listened to it. There are often however issues of proof um, in terms again of webinars that people will enroll for webinars and don't actually attend them. It's the actual attendance at them and doing the thing, not just enrolling for them that's important.
0: So there's no limit on how many CPEs can be claimed for attending a webinar or listening to a podcast, etc. But the problem is proving that you did listen to the webinar or that you did listen to the podcast episode. We work
1: on the basis of honesty and integrity, code item one. We trust people and we say you need to keep a record of what you do and how you do it. Um, And we will access that record if we want at any point in time. So we can ask a person to give us their record of their CPE and we expect that they would be able to provide that within... A very quick period of turnaround. That they've already done it, and it's there, ready to be provided if needed. Because they've also declared to us on an annual basis that they've met the CPE requirement. So we ask for that detail. If we feel then that on the basis of what we see that we don't think they meet the de- the, meet the requirement because some of the nature of the services or what they've done is not appropriate. Well, I mean, we had one case recently where a person told us that they met the CPE requirement because they prepared research on behalf of clients and provided clients with advice. Hmm. And we said, well, that's not CPE. That's providing advice. Yes, you're using it's your, daily bread, that's and your daily bread and butter. It's a provision of the services. That's not a CPE activity. So CPE activity is that which keeps your keeps your qualifications relevant up to date. It's it's spending that time to to expand your knowledge if you like and ma- maintain and expand your knowledge of the services that you're providing. Right? So actually researching something for a client to give advice to a client doesn't fit within the category of CPE. But
0: listening to a podcast does.
1: Listening to a podcast does.
0: what happens if I can't meet the CPE requirements for some reason?
1: We do have that requirement or the the flexibility of saying you've got to meet a minimum of 10 hours each year. So that does give people some flexibility. However, if a person for some reason didn't meet the minimum, we'd also take that into account. Again, our policy is generally one which is um, relatively... Uh, conciliatory I suppose you'd say, in a sense, that we want people to qualify. We don't want to turn them out because they don't qualify. So, our policy would be to give people additional time to catch up, if you like. But we might say, if a person's done, let's say, 60 hours over the last three years, we'd say, you've got to do 40 hours immediately in the next six months or 12 months period. Right? So, we want them to catch up, but also remain current in that context so our first step in any person with any person who doesn't meet the CPU requirement would be to give them additional time to meet the requirement and then we would monitor them on an ongoing basis to ensure that they do comply on an ongoing basis
0: welcome back had a lot of light bulb moments during this interview. I thought it was very helpful. Here are my 10 big learnings. Number one, CPEs are assessed over a three-year period with a certain minimum per year. So there is flexibility and we can go hard in one year and then take it very easy in the other two. Number two, courses completed to obtain registration, so-called board approved courses, do not count as CPE. Number three, there are no accredited providers of CPE. Any presentation, any training, any course, any webinar can count to CPE as long as it is provided by somebody who knows what they're talking about. This is different to the courses we do to qualify for registration. For registration, we can only do certain courses by certain accredited providers, so-called borderproof courses. But once we are registered and move into the CPE regime, there are no accredited providers for those CPE activities. Number 4. We don't have to necessarily pay for CPE. Yes, many courses require a fee and there's no such thing as a free lunch. But whether something qualifies as CPE or not is independent from the fact of whether we paid for it or not. We need to keep a record of the CPE activities we undertake and when we pay, we usually get an invoice and that could be treated as a record. But we can prepare a record of CPE activities ourselves. It doesn't need to be an invoice and so we don't have to necessarily pay for its CPE activities. Number five, the TPE doesn't prescribe the activity but the outcome. It is the outcome that is important and the outcome has to be that we... Maintain, develop or promote our skills, knowledge or attributes relevant to the tech services we provide. How we get there is up to us, as long as we achieve the outcome and of course stick to CPE activities the Board considers appropriate. Number six, there is a limit on technical or professional reading for CPE purposes, which is 25%. Our CPE activities can't be more than 25% of reading. So reading has a red flag on it. Number seven, the provision of text services is not in itself a CPE activity. So our usual work doesn't count as CPE. And you will probably say that this is not a particularly big learning since you already knew that before. But I had thought that if we run into a technical issue and then read up about it to find a solution, that this might count as CPE. But the answer is that it doesn't since it was part of our usual work. Number eight. Listening to a text podcast counts as CPE, and even more important is that it counts as a structured activity, so it is not subject to the 25% limit, the red flag they put on reading. So you can listen to text podcasts while driving to see a client and literally earn CPEs on the way. Number nine. In the past, I had heard this strange rumor that a podcast or webinar or anything else needs to be at least an hour long to qualify a CPE. But this is incorrect. It doesn't matter how long an individual episode is. You just add up the minutes of all the episodes you listen to. So let's say you listen to five episodes of text talks and they add up to 330 minutes, so you get a CPE of five hours. It doesn't matter that some or all of the episodes might be less than 60 minutes. Well, (laughs) if they are all less than 60 minutes, then you don't get to 330 minutes. I obviously didn't do my math, but you get the point. Learning number 10. We need to keep a record of the CPE activities for six years. Six years, that is a long time and hence important to keep in mind. I hadn't realized that it is that long. So these were my 10 lightbulb moments regarding CPE. In the next episode, episode 69, we will look at another aspect of small business CGT concessions. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.